Amen, amen. You had a good time of communion. Isaiah, thank you so much for leading us in communion, sharing your journey. It's awesome. Um, you know, all the campus ministry, I'm just so inspired by your guys' convictions and faith. Uh, your faith as young people. Isaiah, you what, 20 years old? 19 years old. Where would we be if that's where I was at at 19? But uh, your faith and your convictions is so inspiring. We as older people uh, need your faith. You inspire us uh, to hear your hearts and convictions and then to think about your example with my children. Um, it's just so encouraging to hear, not just specifically your journey, but to listen to all you guys and your faith, as well as our teens, and uh, uh, us as um, those who are, did I say old earlier? I'm sorry. Uh, more Are we? I don't know if we're more mature. <laughs> we're old. Okay. Some of you are really old. Anyways, I'm just kidding. That was even more offensive. Okay, let's just uh, open the Bible uh, before everyone's mad at me, and uh, we'll let you be mad at the Bible. Uh, and what it says. No, you, hopefully today you'll be encouraged about uh, what God has as a message for us. We're beginning a series uh, around Christmas um, uh, from Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be talking about the character of the king, the character of the king. And we're going to spend four weeks uh, from this scripture talking about who Jesus is in his character as our king uh, and the character, therefore, of his kingdom. You know, Christmas is a time of great joy, amen? Hopefully it's a time of joy for you. Of course, the reason for our joy is not only, or it's not just celebrating the arrival of Christ, uh, or not just the gifts that we get, etc. So not just the arrival of your new Nike sweatshirt. Oh, Coincidence, Isaiah, or uh, Isaiah, Eli, one of those Bible guys, Nike sweatshirt right there staring at me, uh, but a, that a new king has entered the scene. You know, we throw around this word gospel a lot at church, and we think that gospel means good news, and it does mean good news, but the good news is the arrival of a new king. That's the good news, Amen. And when we think of new king and all that's a little bit foreign to us in a, in a democratic society, but I visited a country uh, this past summer where the king had been in power for about 40 years, and he was a horrible king. He was a corrupt king. He had even been voted out of office, but he was just like, no, I'm king, and uh, I don't care what the vote says. And he stayed king. Uh, and the country's suffering and hurting. And uh, actually, it switched over. And now there's a new king in that country. But in the, this day and age of uh, Israel, it was a time of darkness, which we'll see in a minute. And uh, a new king represented everything being made new in their lives. New hope, new joy, uh, new life. Amen. Uh, so, we're going to talk about how the character of the king can turn our gloom and darkness into great joy. That will be 
our series. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to read verse 11. The very end of this is the very famous um, announcement of the new king and his character. But I think it will help us to get a little more context in the book of Isaiah of what's going on. So Isaiah is a prophecy to the Israelites, and uh, the nation of Israel had divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, and you had the southern kingdom, which is often called Judah. Okay, The northern kingdom, the king had decided to disobey God, to not pay attention, and had turned to foreign gods. And so God used Assyria to come and conquer northern Israel, not because he was mad at them, but because he wanted eventually to save them. Amen? Okay? And so the southern kingdom still had not yet uh, completely rebelled, but they were on their way. Um, and this book of Isaiah is written as a prophecy to the southern kingdom in the hopes that they would turn, okay, uh, and follow God again. And so before the southern kingdom had been destroyed by Assyria, uh, Isaiah is warning them, you are following other gods and it's not going to go well for you. But in the middle of this warning is this message of good news. So let's look here in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. It says, The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. And do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he, will build, he will be a sanctuary, but for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. For the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. You know, as they say, well, how, which, which is, is God good? Or say, Listen, when we don't pay attention to God, our lives lead dark direction. And so God isn't saying, you don't pay attention to me like some ego, like I need to be. He's like, if you don't pay attention to me, it's going to be bad. I want you to stumble in that so you'll return to me. Amen? And so it's been often said that Jesus will either fall on the rock or the rock will fall on us. Okay? So this is what he's uh, communicating here. Verse 18 says, Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists, who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness in fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And before we go on, I would say this describes potentially a situation that may be looked at as, as sheep without a shepherd, wandering, aimless, 
and sheep without a shepherd get in trouble. And this is what Jesus describes us as when we're not following him. We're like sheep without a shepherd. And if you look at the world, I don't think we need to talk too long to, to think about and to, to perceive that the world is in a dark place. Are you with me? It, it, it's like a daily occurrence, isn't it, recently, where there's just one more person of influence that sexual harassment comes out, and it's, and we don't have to read the paper very long to see that, does the, is the world really a reliable guide? Does the world have answers to its problem? I know what the answer will be. It will be the next politician. They'll have all the answers and lead us to the promised land of glory. Oh, I know, it will be the next journalist. How about the next Lions Club president? Not that if you're in the Lions Club, I, I, I don't even know what the Lions Club does. Um, but, okay, I'm sure it's good. But where is the answer? I know, the next counselor on TV like Dr. Phil. He have, he'll have all the answers. Maybe the next Oprah, she'll have all the answers. Are you with me? Who has the answers to the world's darkness? The one reason we know the world doesn't have the answers is because it's not getting better. It's actually getting worse. So maybe we should stop and think Whose answers am I looking to for the answer? So Isaiah is prophesying. It's, it's dark and it's getting darker. But in the middle of this, there's hope. In the middle of this, there's good news. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea. Along the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And here he gets, so that's the results. And now he gets to the reason. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So right there, you have the humanity of Jesus but you also have the deity of Jesus. A son of God is given to the earth in the form of a child. And the government, not just the, you know, like the local United States government, but the government, the authority, the leadership will be on his shoulders. And so he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign 
on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what he's saying, what he's prophesying from God is, yes, it's dark right now and it's going to get darker. But there's a time coming. There's a time coming when there will be a new king and he'll be a child but a son of God. That God will come down and he will establish his, his, government, his kingdom and he will rule it as a good king. So the kingdom's long term would rise or fall based on the character of the king. If you had a good king who was kind and benevolent and had the good of the people in mind, and over time it would go up if, if, and feared God. If you had a bad king who was just in it for himself, using the people for his own gain and that sort of thing, then it would eventually fall. Here he's saying that Jesus the Messiah, the Christ is going to come and he is going to reign. He's going to establish and uphold and build his kingdom from that time on and forever. So this is, includes us. And his zeal will accomplish this. Amen? There's light coming. And he says, there's, he gives four descriptions of the character of the king. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And therein lies our sermon series. Today we're discussing Jesus as Wonderful Counselor. Amen? Next week, Mighty God. The week after, um, Everlasting Father. And on Christmas Eve at 10 a.m., not at 5 p.m., but at 10 a.m., we'll talk about, because it's Sunday, Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Amen? All right. So, wonderful counselor. We're going to talk about how Jesus, as wonderful counselor, takes us from a place of darkness to a place of great joy. From gloom and doom to rejoicing as if, what, here they says rejoicing at the harvest. Maybe as rejoicing as if your team just won the Super Bowl maybe connects a little bit more with a few of us. Certainly not me, okay? Because I've never had that experience. <laughs> anyway, Jesus as a wonderful counselor. Okay, we're going to tell a little story, and I'm going to use this uh, uh, story as an illustration for a lot of the rest of our uh, sermon today. So a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity, our family, uh, one of my relatives had thought it would be a good idea to gather the family uh, in the Caribbean for a, uh, a little family reunion get-together pre-Thanksgiving uh, holiday time, which I, I think that's a good idea, amen? Uh, not only did he have that idea, he decided he was just going to pay for everyone to get there, which uh, was uh, uh, good news, okay? Um, so anyways, we were like, they're, they're like, do you want to come? We're like, hello. I don't look too smart, but I'm not stupid, okay? <laughs> and so, uh, um, so we flew to this um, country called St. Kitts and Nevis. Anyone heard of Nevis before? I had not either. Caleb has, okay? So we get there to St. Kitts and Nevis, and it's a volcano island uh, in the Caribbean. 
And it's actually, has anyone heard of Alexander Hamilton? Okay. Uh, this is where Alexander Hamilton was born and uh, where he, he came to America from. So, interesting. Um, and uh, uh, so we get to this island, and what do we see? A very small island, a volcano island. What do you see right away? You see the mountain, right? Okay, so we have a picture. We have a picture of the, there's, there, right, it, right there is Mount Nevis, okay? So when a 14-year-old, my son Carter, we get to the island and we see Mount Nevis. What do you think goes through his mind? Let's climb it. I'm like, oh, no. So um, me being uh, older says, are you kidding me? But there's, you know, that's like the flesh side of you, but the Holy Spirit side of you says, love your children. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm going to be a good dad. And, okay, let's climb the mountain. And I have a uh, sister, and she's married to uh, her husband. And uh, his, his name is Sam. And uh, so he's a rather adventurous type. And so the three of us were like, let's climb the mountain. And they're all fired up about it, and I'm a willing participant. So, um, but, so we're, I'm getting more and more fired up about it. And so um, we're sitting around in... Christy comes out with her phone, and she had looked at TripAdvisor, and she had, uh, uh, you know, Googled or whatever, uh, climbing Mount Nevis, okay? And uh, uh, I didn't even think uh, about doing any research or anything like that. And uh, she, had, she comes out and says, um... I've just been on TripAdvisor about climbing the mountain, and one of the things they say is don't even think about trying this without a guide. And so what my first reaction, being the incredibly humble man that I am, is, well, of course, I've thought, my first reaction is like, oh, brother, right? needs a guide. It's just right there. It's the mountain. Just go up one foot in front of the other. How hard can it be, right? And, uh, um, and then, of course, my brother-in-law chimes in. Ah, come on. I've biked up all kinds of mountains in Colorado. It's interesting, the thought process we have, how somehow, and I was like, yeah, we're strong. <laughs> He's in his He's late 40s. I'm in my, you know, early 20s. Uh, and, uh, um, but what does biking mountains in Colorado have to do with climbing a tropical island in the middle of the Caribbean? I don't know, but it sounded good to us. And then Christy continues with her ever so respectful uh, pleading of, well, how about you just read it yourself? <laughs> And so I was like, oh, whatever, okay, you know, and I read it, and they're like, you know, show pictures and all this kind of stuff, and so I thought, I, I thought, okay, well, let's consider this guide thing. I'm sure it's just a money-making scheme, conspiracy theory setting in, hanging around Brother Moose uh, for a while, but, uh, um, 
But anyway, so we decided, uh, talked to Carter, talked to Sam. It's like, you know what? There's accounts of people getting lost, helicopter rescues, et cetera, et cetera. How about we just get a guide, and then we don't have to worry about it, okay? And uh, we felt like that was uh, a good idea. But actually, uh, do you want to maybe show uh, the next? Do you have any? Uh, there you go. So, so here's a picture of the trail itself. And by the way, like no one knew how to get to the, the start of the trail. And you see this, and it, it looks kind of easy, right? Actually, that is almost like straight uphill. And there is over like 90 ropes on the side of this mountain to, to climb up. And um, it turned out to be a very, very challenging climb. We didn't really know where we were going, but the presence of the guide, I think, saved our lives. And not only that, I felt like all the leadership burden was off of me. It's like, you know what, all, all I got, I don't need to worry about where to go. I don't have to keep everyone safe. I, all I got to do is just stick close to the guide because he knows what he's doing, where he's going. And uh, um, I don't have to be anxious if I'm on the right path or not. I just need to stick with the guide. And there was times in the climb where it was really kind of intense. And usually the guide would go ahead of us and, you know, he'd be kind of like that, just kind of leading the way. But there was times where it was more intense where he came down and he was very specific. He said, put your foot, put your left foot here, right here. He pointed it. Put it there, grab this, pull yourself up, okay? Because actually, it's more like almost a rock climbing thing than a little hike, okay? Um, and it was, it was awesome, and we got to the top. So we can go back to that last picture. This is the summit, and we were in a cloud. So it was a little anticlimactic, but it was there. It was, it was good. It took us a couple hours, and here was our guide. Carter, do you remember our guide's name? Nickel. Okay, Nickel. Yeah. So he was our guide, and it was so funny because he obviously had gone up and down the mountain a million, you know, I don't know, a million, a, a number of times, probably hundreds of times, and we're like sweating and huffing and puffing. He's looking back like, "What's the problem here?" Okay. Um, but uh, it was awesome. I want us to uh, to parallel this to our spiritual lives. Let's look over in Psalm chapter 1. What's this got to do with Jesus? Well, he's a wonderful counselor. And we're going we're gonna to see that counselor just doesn't mean good advice. Wonderful counselor means more along the lines of a wonderful guide in our lives. I want to read a few scriptures about the blessings of having a guide specifically our guide being Jesus. And then we're going to look at how Jesus counsels us by looking at an example with Mary and Martha, and then the lesson will be yours. Psalm, Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 16, verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Look over in Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule or the man who thinks he doesn't need a guide to do something he's never done before in his life, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Blessed is the man. You know, the reality is all of us are guided. We all have a guide in life. We may think, I don't need a guide. I've, I've got it just fine. Actually, then what you're guided by may be your own thoughts, your own feelings about something. And what I would ask you, those of us who think we don't really need a guide, I would ask is on what basis do you, uh, 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 what, where does this confidence come from? Is it the fact that you've lived so many times in all of your lives that you, your understanding is so deep? Like Job tried that, right? Actually, I want to look over it in Job real quick. This is extra. I don't even think it's in the PowerPoint. But Job 38. So Job, he thought he was older in years, and he was older. And so I thought all these years has given me great wisdom and understanding. And then Job had some friends who were also older, who were his advisors or his counselors. And they spent 37 chapters or 36 chapters arguing philosophies and wisdom from their own experiences, their own study, their own understandings. It's kind of like uh, 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 brother-in-law Sam and I, well, I've been to Colorado and I've biked up mountains. Well, I've I have muscles in my leg. I don't need a guide. Uh, um, I've hiked before in Eau Claire. <laughs> Why don't, it's just there. It's just the mountain. Big deal. Rock climbing, I've done the Schroeder Wall. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't think I got all the way up. But uh, anyways, so God is patient and God listens and he lets them pontificate. And then finally he's like, I can't hold back anymore. I'm going to insert my thoughts into the equation. And I love how he starts out in Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall Answer me, where were you, O oh, wise elders, o old Job and council of elders in the community? I know you're old, but where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? 
And those of you who think sarcasm is always completely ungodly, um, God is just being sarcastic here, right? Now, I'm not saying that it's always godly either. Um, but uh, uh, he goes into explaining your perspective is so limited, so finite, so small compared to mine. I think actually you should listen to my counsel instead of your own. Amen? And Job agrees with that and repents and then asks for forgiveness for his friends and God forgives them as well. Let's look over in John chapter 11. So if we don't think we need a guide, why would we think that? The other option is, well, I'm just going to look to the world. The world's wisdom will be my guide. And all I would beg of you is to think about how, it's even Dr. Phil who says it, right? Well, how's that working for you? And you have people in, in crisis arguing to get the other to think about their way and why they're right. And he just sits back and says, well, how's it working for you? And we would sit back and look at the world and just think, well, how's it working? How's it working? And I don't think it would take us too long to think. So our third option, though, is have Jesus as our guide. And I want to look here at how he comforts and counsels two sisters who are very different in John chapter 11. We'll draw some practicals and we'll be done. John 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been, excuse me, so Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, had died, okay? And they sent for Jesus. Jesus delayed in coming because he knew he would be able to have um, some things to communicate to Mary and Martha. So it says Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. Even though he dies, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Point number one is this, and, and don't worry, there's only two points, is that Jesus, the King, counsels us with answers. He counsels us with answers. Martha and Mary are very different because he counsels Martha with or Mary, excuse me, with companionship. We'll get into that in a minute. But he first counsels us with answers. Answers here about the resurrection. My brother died. What happens when you die? Where's he going to go? Uh, and Jesus comes and says, I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? In me there's life. He's dead for now, but in me there's life. Do you believe this? You know, there's uh, uh, the word of God. Our king counsels us with answers. Amen. The world has answers, and Jesus has answers. I want to give you a few of these topics. The, world, the world's counsel is this. Get everyone's approval, and you'll be happy. You want your gloom to turn to joy? Get everyone, get more approval in your life, and you'll be happy. I sat down with a teen this past week, and we talked about God and how he's relating to God. One of the things that he's wrestling with was 
you know, I, there, I just know that if I really go all God's way, that my friends would think I'm weird. We can all relate to that, right? And so we just talked about, well, let's dissect that a little bit. Your friends will think you're weird. So we're letting the opinions about us of our friends control what we believe and think about an eternal, unchanging God and whether we're going to listen and follow Him or not. Does that really make sense? If you consider that for a while, we're letting some other human opinions control us over God. And uh, I think it was kind of like, hmm, never, never really thought about that. And so we talk about these are things that we need to think about. The answers of the world get everyone's approval. The answers of Jesus, just get God's approval. Just get God's approval, and then you'll be able to be for everyone what they need you to be. Amen? Okay, second answer to the world is just to get everything you want. Jesus' answer is to give everything you have. Give everything you have. You want the answer to true joy? You know, the country song says, if I won the lottery... Uh, I know money can't buy me happiness, but it'll buy me a truck. No, it's, it'll drive me a boat and a truck to pull it. Amen? And I think then a gun. <laughs> so, with silver bullets. So, country, I, Tim has shown us it's not necessarily God's music, though that song may be an exception. Anyway, uh, the world says, just get everything you want. You'll be happy. One of the reasons you're not happy is because you're not getting what you want. God says, no, just give what you have. Give what you have. It's more blessed to give than receive. Third answer of the world, get everyone to agree with you. Get everyone to agree with you because you are right. Don't you know? I do know. Okay? Yeah, I've agreed with that comment. Now I just got to convince my wife or husband to think the way I think. Oh, my teenagers, if they would think the way I think. Oh, my friends, just agree with me. And so we get interesting when we think this way. But God says, no, don't get everyone to agree with you. Get everyone to agree with God. How about we agree with God, amen? And we'll start there. Number four, the way of pleasure brings peace. The way of pleasure, just get more pleasure, pleasure. Uh, and by the way, drug away all pain. Just find the latest drug and, and get rid of that pain, emotional pain, physical pain, whatever it takes. And, and I'm, I mean, man, I get, it's, I can't even call it a headache, right? I get a little tremor. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. I get a little piece of speck of discomfort in my head. And I'm like, woohoo, ibuprofen, right? Run into the cabinet. And my wife's just like, oh my goodness. Um, the way of pleasure brings peace. Jesus says the way of the cross brings peace. The way of the cross brings peace. Think about that. The world says do well. Success is the ultimate goal. Jesus says, whether you do well or not do well, uh, learn well. Humility is really the goal. Humility. Finally, gain control. The world says just get more control. 
Jesus actually says, you know what? Lose control. Submit to God. Serve and surrender. That's the path. That's the way to lead, or excuse me, to, to joy. Count, he counsels us with answers. Let's read on, though, about how he handles Mary. Mary's different. She's made different. In verse 28, it says, After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. It's interesting how Mary didn't go out with Martha when she first heard that Jesus was there. And why is that? Because Mary's flat out mad at Jesus. Mary's probably a little more emotional, a little more uh, uh, based in how she's feeling, and she's not liking Jesus at this moment. And um, it says uh, in verse, um, verse 29, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly, went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Someone's calling me. Excuse me. Just kidding. Turn it off. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he just gave her the right answer. It's not what it says, right? Jesus isn't just Mr. Answer. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid, away, laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I, knew, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, I love watching Jesus with Mary. He didn't handle her the same way, right? Mary was upset. She was emotional. She was angry. She was crying. And he comforted, Mary, he comforted Mary more with companionship, grieving with her, than with the right answers. And, of course, then Martha gets back in there and says, no, don't, don't raise him from the dead. It's going to smell. And uh, Jesus then gave her an answer. <laughs> All right? You know, uh, um, so often what we need is counsel, is a good answer. But then often what we also need isn't always the right answer, but companionship, friendship. But the competitiveness that the world sets up kills our companionship. So one of the things I like to try to teach uh, uh, people is how to go from competitors to companions. And uh, I've worked with uh, Grayson and Ivy and training them uh, in the campus ministry, but also Lee and Morgan. And a lot, you face a lot of things when you lead at campus ministry. And uh, um, this past week, 
we talked about being encouragement to one another. And I spent some time with uh, uh, Lee and Morgan up in Duluth on Friday, and it was so encouraging to me to hear because Morgan was sharing about how she had gotten some bad news and was frustrated with some things and just troubled by some things. And, uh, and then she heard, said, and so I called Ivy, and I felt so much better after I talked with Ivy. And I'm like, oh. And so, so for me, I'm just like, oh, I love it. I love it. And I was like, and I, I was preparing for this, and I said, I said, was it because Ivy said the perfect thing? Was it her incredible advice based on years in the ministry and working with people and college students from this 22-year-old? Was it the great education, the PhD that she had gotten in counseling and in the systems of cognitive therapy and all these things that we really need and value in our counselors, amen? Speaking of wonderful counselors, I think we have some wonderful counselors in our congregation, amen? Okay? And Morgan looked, I said, was it because of all this? And she looked at me like, no. It's like she was just there. She was just a friend. I could just talk to her. I said, that's what I'm talking about. That's going from competitors to companions. This is how Jesus comforts us. It's, he doesn't just give us good advice, though he does. He comes alongside of us. He rejoices when we rejoice. He mourns when we mourn, and he's with us. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. How do, you, how do you receive Jesus, the character of the king? How do you receive this counsel? Number one is just to get into Christ. Get into Christ. And by that, I mean getting into Christ and repentance and baptism. But I also mean get into Christ, man. Like, stop thinking about everything else. Get into the Bible. Get into thinking about God. You will find comfort and counsel very quickly. But not just getting into Christ, but listen and obey Christ. If the guide would have said, put your foot here, Joel, put your foot here, put your hand here, and I said, um, okay, that's your opinion, but I think I'm going to put my foot here and my hand here, I probably would have been down the side of the mountain, right? And the guide would have said, I told you what to do, you just didn't listen. We got to listen and obey Jesus, amen, and then walk with Christ. Guys, the character of the king, let the holiday season Bring us from gloom and doom, darkness, into great joy. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus as mighty God. After that, Prince of Peace. And after that, Everlasting Father. Amen.